Hello and welcome to the Football Psychology Show. My name is John Nasori and on this episode I'm joined by regular guest and former England women's team psychologist Dr Misa Jervis and completing his hat-trick of appearances on the show Wickham assistant manager Richard Dobson. Regular listeners will notice that there is an absentee from today's lineup, though. Unfortunately, in a desperate bid to mark the 20th anniversary of David Beckham's metatarsal injury, my co-host Luke Tiverton has once again got the nation on tenterhooks by breaking not one, but two bones. They're actually in his, in his wrist rather than his foot, but the comparison still stands. I think, Luke, best wishes for a speedy recovery and uh, probably time to hang up the boots, mate. Um <laughs> Richard, fantastic to to have you back on the show. We were just saying, I think, off air actually, that it's been about twelve months since you since you last came on. Uh, when you and Gareth Hainsworth, Wickham's manager, were talking about your kind of ambitions for last season, obviously, a fantastic achievement to get to Wembley, and you know, a real disappointment not to kind of cross the finishing line. But now you've had time to reflect on last season. What what are your thoughts? How how, how do you kind of feel about it? We did very well over the course of the season, to be honest. I mean, to get to a, a playoff final is no mean feat, given that the clubs that are around that top six uh, come the end of the season. Obviously, we were disappointed with the, the way that we played in the final. Um, you know, we felt it wasn't a fair reflection of, of us and what we'd done over the course of the season. But, it, you know, it's a tough division and, and you've got to give credit to Sunderland. I mean, we lost once in, I think, 14 games at the end of the season and they, they hadn't lost in 16 games when they beat us. So um, credit where credit's due, they finished the season strongly and, and we did everything we could to try and get there. They just were a little bit better than us coming into the season. And Misha, I think the last time we, we spoke, we were kind of gearing up for, for the playoff, playoff final and you know, obviously didn't, didn't quite happen. But as Richard alluded to there, you know, fantastic season, I think, for, for all concerned at the club. Yeah, I think um, when we spoke, you're right, it was just, just prior to that. And I think I was... Um, talking about the, the preparation of getting there and you spoke about, okay, so you've got, you know, X number of games to go to the end of the season and then, you know, the additional playoff games. And what what actually happened in terms of in the club was round about seven games before the end of the season, we reframed the narrative. So it wasn't about seven games, it was about 10 games. So this is this is one of ten. This is two of ten. This is three of ten. And in terms of the actual certainty of getting to the playoffs, that that was a an actual given. I, I, no one in the club thought we weren't going to be at the playoffs. And actually, I think it was um, Bayo had a beautiful saying. Bayo often has beautiful sayings. Um, but what he said was, "We already know." In the game when we were playing um, at home. Um, the first, the first round of the of the of the two, and that's what he said, and 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 he was right, and but it but it was that kind of cementing of that certainty, and so when you reframe the narrative, it it changes how you how you do it, and timely the women's Euros is about to start, but that's also what we did when we got to the final of the Euros, and you know I did a lot of work with Hope Powell trying to. Um, set up what the story is and and her team talks and and we had a similar strategy there which was like this is one of six this is two of six so every time the pre the the pre-match conversation the pre-match talk it was always referencing one of six two of six three of six and we too got to the final so I think again it's like 
rather than the ifs. It's it's how you how you navigate that narrative. And and certainly at Wickham, those were the conversations with the players. You know, those were and and, and so the players were dripping it into the dressing room. Yeah, yeah, one of ten, two of ten, and so. I think that that's that's also something for us to be really proud of um, because they actually, well, everybody delivered on getting to to the final. And we had some hairy, hairy games along the way. I mean, the, the game at MK Dons was was an extraordinary bit of resilience, perseverance, moments where the game went out, um, sorry, the ball went out of play and it was cheered as if we just scored a goal was, you know, testament to, to how everyone was connecting with that. And, and, and that, was, that was such a powerful moment, the, the MK Don game. I, I don't know what you think, Rich. Yeah, I, it was, it's fascinating because um, the two games came, I think, four days apart. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazing how two, two games with two of the same teams can look so different. Um, at our place, we dominated. And I think on 85 minutes, they'd probably thrown the towel in if they could. You know, it's just a question of whether we were going to score more than two. And then we went to their place and they totally dominated. And luckily we had that that platform to hold on to and, um, and we managed to get the win. But two very, very different types of games. Uh, in the first one, they, they struggled from a psychological perspective. In the second one, I think the great thing for us was under all the pressure, our boys didn't buckle. And they had psychological strength about them that, um, that saw us through that game. And MK Dons were very good on the night. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that kind of psychological strength that we're going to talk about in, in a little bit more detail on, on this episode, actually, and, and not so much kind of focusing on on Wickham, but actually kind of talking a little bit about Richard and, and kind of Misha's relationship as well. And uh, really kind of just looking at what, what the secret is to a successful relationship between a, a coach and a psychologist, because we were just talking actually off air and I think Richard and Misha have, have worked together for, for over 10 years now and kind of known each other for, for a bit longer than that. And I think that's, that's fairly, that's fairly unique. I think particularly at one club as well, I've, I've not kind of really kind of come across uh, any kind of relationships that have endured at one club between a coach and psychologist for that, that kind of length of time. I, I know we'll come to this as a, there was kind of a bit of a kind of, you know, on off. Mamisha obviously worked for, a, for kind of a different club as well in that time. But um, I really just wanted to come back and, and talk about that. We've had Richard and Misha on the show, show separately, as I mentioned. Um, and I'd, I'd really recommend going back and, and having a listen to those, those episodes. Um, but just for people that you know, haven't, haven't kind of listened to those episodes, um, just a, a quick framer. So Richard and, and Misha are uh, kind of uh, currently working with with Wickham's first team. Um, obviously, Richard's the assistant manager, and, and Misha provides psychological support to the first team squad. But actually, started working together um, on an academy program, an academy psychology program that was described by the FA's former head of psychology as the the biggest program in in Europe at the time, um, and. I suppose that's probably quite a good place to start. Although it, we were saying, Rich, I think that you actually met a few years prior to that. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was on the first cohort um, for the first ever level one um, and level two FA psychology courses, which um, Misha, Misha presented on. Um, so we actually met way back, maybe 16, 17 years ago. 
on that course. And, uh, you know, I was in my early years as a coach. Uh, I think I've been doing it 20, 21, 22 years now. Um, but that was sort of three or four years in for me. And um, uh, I was I was very uh, interested in the psychological side of the game. It was something that fascinated me. And I went on this course and it just it sparked me up. It, it got me thinking a lot deeper about the impact of psychology. And obviously, um, with the likes of Misha and the other presenters that were there, their their wealth of knowledge and, and that being passed on to us just um, gave me the enthusiasm to go and study it far deeper. Rich, am I right in saying that, that you kind of approached Misha at that point? Was it a little bit later to talk about the kind of academy programme and setting that up? Yeah, so that, it was later. So I, I went through the sort of first group of um, courses. So we were the first cohort of the level five, which is the, the final course. Uh, and that was probably done over two or three years. Um, and then we had a meeting the year after um, and they brought together um, all the psychologists that were working in clubs and a, a few of the coaching staff that had been on that course. And we discussed what we'd done off the back of those courses. They wanted to know how we'd interpreted the courses and what we were doing to implement that within our own clubs. So they asked me to put a presentation on with what I was doing at, at Wickham. And um, I was sat on a table with, with Misha. Um, so I did the presentation and everyone went, oh, that's great. You know, I really like what you're doing there. And, um, you know, at that time, psychology wasn't really a, a, something that had been implemented in clubs particularly. And they were, they were hopeful that people would start to embrace it more. Um, and I said to Misha, I just had this vision. I'd always felt as, um, as an academy manager that, um, you know, we had all these psycho- um, so, sorry, sports scientists and every kid had access to a sports scientist. And we're doing all the stuff that sports scientists do. No one had access to a psychologist, and you know we talk about the mind being equally um, as important, if not more important, than the physical side. Yet we don't work on that. And um, I said to Misha, I've just got this vision. I want, I want to to do the same from the psychological perspective as we do on the sports science perspective. I want to have every kid to have access to a psychologist and and teach them these mental skills from an early age. And Misha, being Misha, went, okay, let's do it. Uh, so. With literally, we had that conversation, and within two weeks, we'd set it up. Um, Misha had come into the, the club, we'd met, we'd spoken about it, how we'd shape it. Um, and then she brought in some, we interviewed some of her, her students from Bruno University and, um, and picked five, I think it was five, wasn't it, Misha initially, yeah. Yeah. and uh, and give them all roles within the, the uh, centre of excellence as it was then. Um, and off we, we, were, we were up and running, and, and we learned from there. And Misha, how kind of unique a kind of proposition is that I imagine it's not every day that you kind of have the chance to kind of do that that kind of thing I think I think it I think it was wholly unique then and and I still think it's actually unique now if if I'm honest um what we what we put in place was that every age group in the academy had a sports psych attached to them that's unbelievable you know the under eights the under nines the under tens and it was um, a way to get the psychologist embedded in in the whole club. Um, so they were working pitch side. They were doing mini workshops for little kids, for the older kids. They were working side by side with the coaches, and and we did lots and lots of CPD work with the with the coaches as well. We did um, we did kind of aha moments where. When we went in originally, I said to Rich, listen, we just need to observe. Just let us observe and then see what's coming um, so that we are most effective in where we start, you know, because it's like, where do you begin? How do you start this thing? And I always knew that 
for sports psych to be effective, there has to be a partnership. It's coach, athlete, player, especially um, the, the, the players and the parents, especially with the younger kids. We did lots of observation. I took some data back to Rich and went, do you know that this is what your coaches are doing? And uh, he was a bit surprised. Um, and uh, we presented it back to the coaches as well. And and for them that was off that that was I think the aha moment where they went oh okay I I, I didn't realise this was going on so we did some some basic observations on coach communication which was important I think for the coaches to understand how they were working with the players some of the assumptions that they had about their own working practices we actually challenged them and said mm, actually this is what you're doing. Um, we did regular parent workshops and we started off and we had, these were kind of optional in the beginning. So we started off with maybe 20. I think by the end of it, that we, we were working in a kind of school hall. It was full, absolutely full. We had, you know, over a hundred parents regularly attending a parent workshop. So the parents would come to our site workshop on a Saturday morning and the kids would be training. So we're kind of trying to do synergy as well because you have to you have to join up the dots. There's no point Sykes working over here with the kids and nobody knowing what what on earth we're doing. So I don't know. I mean, this this in a sense is my model, and and I've walked it into an, into other clubs, but I'm not sure that it happens in 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 any other clubs in 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 this particular format. And then from a Psych point of view, what it also meant is that there was a there was a coherence of the philosophy of delivery. So all the psychs were on the same page. So it wasn't like one was kind of doing one thing and one was doing something else. So we, we understood how to develop the program. So, okay, you're going, we're going to do this stuff with the under 10s, but then when they become under 11s, we need to do something different. Um, so it kept it, it kept it live and it kept it moving. And, and many of those trainee psychs, as they were then, have gone on um, to be um, really excellent practitioners in their own right. I think we spoke to, to no, maybe not one of those particular practitioners, Misha, but someone that you've kind of worked with in the past, Sarah Murray, on, um, on an episode yes, a, a few a few months ago. Yeah, doing some yeah. fantastic work. Um, just just kind of going back to that that kind of vision that, that you outlined, Richard, and that initial conversation. Um, obviously, that that is that that is you know that is a really like a laudable ambition to to have and but very ambitious given that kind of that at that point i think wickham were a league two club i think i might say um what kind of commitment was there from kind of both of you to say right we're, we're doing this this is how we're going to kind of drive it forward or was it more a case of kind of right we're going to explore see how this goes and, and kind of go from there I think it was one that we that grew over time. So we obviously learned um, as we were doing it. But I think with Misha's had a clear plan of, of what she wanted it to look like. Um, you know, I just had to juggle the, the money around a little bit to make it work. It was something that I believed in, and uh, you know, I took money from other areas of our budget to put it into that um, because I felt that it was um, it was going to be a, a big thing for for our players and our coaches. And, and look, psychology doesn't stand alone. Um, you know, when you talk about that, that four corner model and you've got physical, tactical, mental, social um, and, and, and obviously 
the tactical side of it and the technical side of it, the coaches look after. But there's, there's always a psychological element to that. So, you know, when players are, are disappointed because they've just missed a shot or whatever, you know, the psychological side is, is really prevalent. And so what we try to do is join that up and make sure that it was always being worked on and, you know, all aspects were being worked on at the same time. Um, so I remember doing a, a finishing session with the youth team uh, one time and um, I was working on the, the technical side of their finishing and as they were missing or scoring or whatever, they were, they were walking back past Misha and Misha was talking to him about how they feel and, you know, what did that feel like when you hit that shot and why do you think that that was missed there? You know, and so we were dealing with both sides of things um, uh, in unison uh, as often as we possibly could because, you know, you don't do them things in isolation within the game. And Richard, was that... That, that kind of hands-on approach, I suppose Misha kind of talked about maybe the data that she initially presented as well, which had a real impact. It, how kind of pivotal was that to establishing the relationship early doors? Because I guess, you know, you've not worked together prior to that. You know, that there's an element to which you kind of need to, to establish trust quite early on, isn't there? Yeah, and I think trust is, is probably the biggest word. Yeah. Um, I, I was more than happy to trust Misha with, with what she wanted to do. You know, I pretty much said... And I know what you're capable of. I know you're at the top end of your your um, your game, your sport, um, and I'm I'm more than happy with you to to go ahead and, and push on. And you know, obviously, we just keep in in dialogue all the time so that we we're both on the same page. But throughout my time working with Misha, I mean, if she goes into a room with one of our players currently, I have no worries whatsoever that, that between you know what they're going to say. Um, I know that everything that Misha does will be for the best of that player and the best of the football club. So. You know, I think having giving people freedom and letting them express themselves and inspiring them to do so brings better performance, whether you're a player or whether you're one of the coaching staff or a psychologist. That you know, um, trust them uh, and, and allow them to to have a little bit of freedom in what they do, and, and people will, will will flourish. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I mean, I've worked with many many people over the years in different contexts and in different ways, and and if you were to put one word on what distinguishes the relationship that I have with Richard is absolute trust, absolute trust. And oftentimes as a sports psychologist, I get kind of challenged or people have this assumption that somehow I'm keeping secrets or that um, they should know what I know. But if you start from the premise and I, and I think maybe this this is what Rich does. Start from the premise of her intentions are to make everything better for the players. If you start from that and you believe that, then what happens next is comes from that place. And it's a completely different place. Because then it's like, okay, so she's gonna she's gonna do this work, or she thinks that this needs to be done, or that needs to be done. And I kind of remember. I mean, it was a really sad day, Rich, and I, we were there when the academy had to close. That was such a sad day. Mm-hmm. But some of the things that the parents said about the importance of the psych program was extraordinary, extraordinary. Um, and so we know that we'd kind of made a difference, that we'd helped, that we'd created something, that we'd looked after the players in a different way, that maybe they flourished in in ways that they wouldn't have been able to had we not been there. And that's kind of testament to, to what we were able to achieve together. Um, and to illustrate another point about that, of course, early on in the, in, in, in the programme, coaches were sceptical. Who are these psychs? 
what are they doing? What can they teach us? And I remember one staff meeting very, very poignantly where there was a coach who was, shall we say, raising raising questions about whether we should be there or not. And Rich said, um, as long as I'm here, the sites are going to be here. So if you are not happy with that, you need to go. Now, that for me was just like the most important moment because I had someone's backing. So once you have that, it means that you can then do the work that you're able to do. You're, because, you know, I've been, I've been in so many situations where I had to justify my existence, you know. Oh, what's this psychology rubbish? Oh, you don't know this. Oh, you don't know football. I mean, endlessly, endlessly doing that. And so to be in a space where it was completely different, poof, and, and that allowed me to do my best work as well, which is important rather than me being uncertain or oh, can I do this do I do I have permission to do this what does this look like so yeah that 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 was a really powerful moment for me I mean you, you kind of touched on uh, a potential challenge that well, not even a potential challenge a challenge there Misha in terms of kind of the reaction of the coaches were there any other points of of tension that, that you and Richard had to kind of navigate together not between ourselves ever yeah which is which is maybe why it's it's always been easy. I mean, even when I haven't been at Wickham, um, Rich would call me, and I and I've come in and done work with individual players. And likewise, when I've had issues around coaches, he's the first person I calls to get advice from as well. So that kind of relationship is 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 ever evolving and there are still people who don't really quite understand what I do and how I do it because it, it looks a bit ethereal. Oh, she's there. Oh no, she's over there. Oh, what, 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 what's the job? (laughs) And it's hard to go. The job is about being present. The job is about noticing the job is about creating relationships. And, and, and that is, that is the, the skill of it. The skill of it is, checking in, you know, barometer checks, knowing when someone needs something more, knowing when this is, this is getting bigger, knowing when, and, and I talk to coaches all the time and I go, just, can you, can you do this for me with this player? And, and when I say that to Rich, he, he's always unquestioning. He's like, yep, sure. Got that. He doesn't need to know the, the nitty gritty of the why that sits behind it. He just will appreciate that, okay, if I've asked that, then it must be important. And, you know, and, and we've, we've developed all sorts of things over the years with all sorts of players, with all sorts of different challenges, um, because I can't do it by myself. I have to do it in partnership. And just to add to that, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach to, to this um, you know, our relationship has been developed over a number of years and Misha knows what makes me tick. I know how Misha thinks. And and so we, we're quite lucky in that respect that um, you know, we understand each other. Um, I, 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 to- I totally see the difficulties that other psychologists would have at other clubs. You know, that there are managers that want total control. They want to micromanage every situation. And to have a player going into a room with a psychologist where that, that conversation is confidential they can't deal with that. You know, they want to know exactly what's being said and why it's being said. Um, and that can be really, really difficult for a, a psychologist who, you know, is bound by confidentiality with them conversations. Um, you know, you obviously got trust issues. If it's a psychologist coming in that the manager doesn't know and, and sometimes they may be brought in um, above the manager's head, then um, 
it straight away there's a I don't know this person and now all of a sudden they're talking to my players um there's a lack of understanding in in people particularly in in footballers that that, um, that go straight into management and haven't um, learned about psychology so you know I still get it now that people think that psychology is done where one person sat across a table like a, a counseling session and you talk across the table and they can't understand why Misha stood at the side of a pitch or you know why she's having a conversation with somebody out on the training ground but actually that is modern psychology and sometimes they are the best places for them conversations to take place um, in, in the present. So, um, so there's still a real lack of understanding um, within the game in terms of what a, a top psychologist does and, and what that looks like. Um, but fortunately, you know, I've, I've been there, I've studied, I've worked with, with other psychologists and, and particularly Misha over a long period of time. And I, I understand that the intricacies and the nuances in her job. I mean, it's so clear that there's just, you know, really kind of real mutual kind of respect and admiration between, between you two. And I guess maybe that was, was that important when the, when the academy closed and, and Misha, I think, was it at that point that you then went off to kind of a, a different, a different club? How important was that to kind of sustaining the relationship? Because I guess you're not working together at that point, are you? Yeah, we sort of always kept in touch, though, I think. Rich would kind of ring me up and go, what do you think about this? Or, and I'd do random things. I'd go, <laughs> I remember once I said to him, you need to watch this programme. It's about restaurants. And he was like, <laughs> okay. And, and that, was, that was literally it. And then he, uh, he watched the programme and he'd go, Okay, I get it. I really get it. I understand all of that. So you know, we were we were we were still connected, um, and and Rich was sort of in my thoughts. You know, so I'm watching a program on restaurants. Why would I think Rich needs to know about this? Like, because he really does. Because there's lots of really important similarities here and lessons that you can learn. Um, Sorry, Misa, just to jump in on that. I think it's a <laughs> story actually. Um, <laughs> So, you know, we started working together, but now Misha's a good friend of mine. Um, and that, that happens regardless of whether we work together or not. You know, I'll pick up the phone to Misha and, and pick up brains all the time. So she's, she's phoned me and said, um, uh, you've got to watch this program, Remarkable Places to Eat, Look Beyond the Food. Mm-hmm. So straight away, I thought, Misha knows the way I think. I, I'm quite excited by this. There's going to be a gem here. And sure enough, there was a, this restaurant in San Sebastian. I think it was a Michelin five-star restaurant. Yeah. And you go in and there's two cards. Uh, one has a picture of a fish. The other one has a picture of a fish with a, a parachute or something bizarre like that. And um, you pick it and there's a 20 course meal about to come. But you have no idea what's coming. What this restaurant does is, is creativity. It, it understands that it goes beyond the food. Okay. So it, 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 it's an experience of, uh, it's an attack on, this, on all the senses. So I think one of the dishes was in the face of a, a pig. It made it into a face of a pig. So you're thinking you're going to eat pork. And then I think it was like crab or something like that. Yeah. There was another one where it was served. Um, it was a small dish, but it was served on an ice, a piece of ice that was in the shape of a tongue. And so you'd feed your partner across the table using this tongue. Um, so, you know, t- t- obviously take your girlfriends and your wives there, not your boss, because you don't want to be feeding <laughs> your boss. But, um, but, you know, the creativity that was happening uh, and, and where they thought beyond the food and more about the experience was fantastic. And then you, they took you into the kitchen and, and in the kitchen, it was just total unison. You know, the, the chefs were working together. It was military precision in, in the way that they operated. And at the end of every hour for three minutes, the buzzer went and they cleaned the place top to bottom within three minutes. And then they cracked on. So you've got this, this wonderful um, 
background of hard work and, and unity and togetherness. And then out the front is the creativity and the, the inspiration. And, um, and I just, I loved it. I loved it. I come back, I said to Misha, I absolutely love this. This is everything I want Wickham Wanderers to be about. Um, so I actually, I made sure our generals of the, the leadership group that we've got in the players watched it as well. And I said to them, this is what I want us to be about. We've always been known as a club for, for hard work and, and um, effort and energy. And, you know, them things are a given at Wickham Wanderers. But what I wanted to do was become, well, wanted us to become more expressive, more creative. And I think certainly on the pitch over the last season, you've seen that. I work a lot on what we do around the box and in the final third. And we've scored um, lots of different types of goals now. We're, not, we're no longer that sort of one-dimensional uh, side that everyone thought we were. But it's not just what happens on the pitch where creativity can take place. It's, it's off it as well. Um, you know, and I look at our sports scientists. We've got a GPS analyst in now. And he, um, he's put together some data whereby we know exactly how many metres people are going to run within each session, how many sprints there's going to be in there, how many um, high-speed runs. So we can literally put a session together before um, we go out onto the grass and we've got a really clear idea of what sort of data we're going to get from a physical perspective and not just technical and tactical. So there's a collaboration within the departments that, that is really taking off and, and, and we're going to um, improve that this year. And then there's obviously the work that I do with, with Misha. And if I can just give you a, a quick example, and I obviously can't, can't give any names here, but we had a player that had a problem with red mist descending when things weren't going well for him. And um, Misha was doing a lot of work on, on why that was and the triggers and how he could cope with that. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was that when I was presenting the session beforehand, I often do a lot on tactics boards and show the players beforehand. And, um, and he's highly kinesthetic, this lad. So um, he was struggling to interpret the visual and verbal cues that I was giving beforehand. And then he'd go out onto the pitch and um, uh, he'd make mistakes. He'd get frustrated and, and finish the day frustrated. So um, he told Misha this and, and Misha said, look, do you mind if I include Rich in this conversation? So he said, no, absolutely not. He, he trusted both of us. So we sat down and um, he, he said, you know, this is what's happening. I don't understand the session sometimes and I get confused and then you know, I have a bad performance. So, um, so I said to him, you know, at the end of every, uh, every time I, I tee the session up, I always say, do you understand? Um, is everyone clear? And he said, yeah, but I don't want to put my hand up because I look stupid in front of all the other players. So I went, okay, here's the solution. Once I've done it, we're going to disperse towards the pitch and every single time I'm going to walk past you and I'm just going to go, have you got it? And if there's any questions, you do it with me there, away from the other players. I said, and, and it just looks like you and me are having a chat as we're walking towards the pitch. Um, the others don't need to know that that's going on. So he was like, okay. So we did that. Every single time I, I teed the session up with the players, I walked straight past him and you got that? And he'd either go, yep, I understand. Or no, what do you want from, from me here? And I'd, I'd say to him, uh, look, make sure you do this and this and see if you can see if you can do this. So he was getting far more out of the session. He was far more engaged because all of a sudden it meant so much more to him he was having less occasions of, of the red mist descending because all of a sudden he wasn't making them silly mistakes or, you know, getting confused. And, and he was walking out of the training ground, a happy player far more often. Now, when you consider that that could have gone two ways, if we hadn't have had that conversation and Misha hadn't have done that work, um, the lad would have been walking out of the training ground miserable more often than not. And we've absolutely turned that around and he became a, a far more happier player off the back of it. But then when you consider that that sort of thing is happening with many of the players, uh, Misha works with many of them and, and some of that work is done with me as well. You start to realise how that shapes an entire environment and an entire feeling around the club. 
that for me is creativity and innovation. Um, and that's why we've got the, the, the relationship and, the, and the, the environment and culture that we have at our club. Misha, how I say so interesting. How how rare is it that you get to a point where a player will say, "Yeah, happy for for a coach to kind of come in on a conversation," because that 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 really is kind of taking that trust kind of that we talked um, about to the to the max, isn't it? I I, I do it often, um, and I, I do it often around key performance stuff, particularly um, when so so I think that the relationship with with the player and the coach is really, really important. But the questions that I ask initially of the player might not be what the coaches are asking because I'm coming at it from a different angle. I'm looking for different things. But I know that if if there's A, a place where the player is able to share it, then actually they're feeling heard and so they're less vulnerable and they're more likely to come with things rather than hold things. Also, it's about strategies and, and coaching solutions. You know, if there's a player I know who struggles with overload of information, and I've understood exactly what's going on from a psychological point of view, I, I will, without any doubt, say to the player, I think it'd be really helpful if we worked out a way of navigating through this with Rich. And very rarely do they say no, but I have to ask their permission. So they are in charge. They can say no. And if, and if they say no, I totally respect that. That's fine. If they say yes, then generally um, it helps Rich because he's got a better understanding of, of what's happening with that player. Um, it means that they can be more collaborative and find solutions. And invariably, those solutions then lead to better performance. And that for me is a win-win. So um, I've I've always worked like that, really. Probably testament to to, to the, the work that you guys do. Um, just just going back to that period where Misha, you, you were you were working at, at a different club, well, I, without kind of remember going into the kind of the, the the details of that. How kind of I suppose you know looking back on that retrospectively, how how useful was that as a kind of counterpoint to kind of what you were doing at Wicked you kind of look, look at that and kind of think well actually we had something you know fantastic there at the academy um yeah I mean I, I set up a very similar situation yeah in terms of me plus trainee sports sites because I know I can't do it again so actually the next club I went to benefited from everything that I'd learned from Wickham actually it was kind of that way around and, you know, and, and sometimes things have a shelf life and that bit of work had a shelf life. Um, and the timing of it was perfect in a way. It was a weird time because it was COVID time. Um, during COVID, I developed some resources for players and, and, I always, and I shared them with Rich. And I said, look, give these to the Wickham players um, because I thought that they would be useful. And. Um, and as I said, it's like, and then and then the opportunity came. Um, I remember really sweetly, and uh, kind of love you for this forever, Rich. You said, "Mish, you're on my wish list." It's like finally, I'm on someone's wish list. And um, and with the new owners, then then it was possible for me to actually come 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 back and work um, properly again at Wickham. So you know, all of this thing is always learning for me. 
you know, I've constantly been learning, been absorbing, developing. And so if I look at myself as a psychologist now compared to me 20 years ago, I am a much better psychologist. Um, I've learned so much. I've developed my skills. Um, but, you know, even, even when I wasn't, because I'm obviously I'm a consultant, so I, I would still be popping into Wickham. And, and again, and that was where Rich would recognise maybe that the players needed something additional and, and we'd figure out ways to kind of, um, for, me, for me to be able to do that work. So I don't think there was ever a, a year that I wasn't actually there. I was there, I wasn't working with the whole team. So I would be there very, very specifically to work with individuals, which was fine as well. Is there any more kind of scrutiny placed on the relationship now that you're working kind of at a first team level? Um, I don't know if there's, yeah, if, if there's kind of, you know, greater focus on, on what you're doing, for example, Misha, now that it's kind of at a first team level. Well, I mean, you know, obviously I've worked with a national squad, which is, you know, the same um, in, in a sense in terms of the focus is different from working with an academy where it's about development, it's about growth and people are kind of more um, more forgiving of mistakes. And Whereas, of course, we, we have a job to do. You know, we, we, it's so the work that I do has to feed into that mission. Otherwise, literally, why am I there? So I think the focus is different, but the, the, the work and the care, um, you know, and I kind of talk to players about, being a, a backstop it's like I'm, I'm here I've got you and I notice things um what I've also learned is and it's interesting I was doing some work on how there's lots of research on men and therapy on why men don't like therapy um, and part of the reason men don't like therapy is that the 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 sitting down the kind of if you ask most of those players, would you like to sit down and do a one-on-one therapy with Misha? Probably it would be like, mm, not quite sure about that. So men don't like that, and, and they don't like it in all sorts of contexts. So the being on the side of the pitch, the hanging out in the gym, they're just catching up. And then when when there's a space where you think, oh, maybe we need to do this in a bit more depth maybe we need to find a space that's a little bit more private it's like you've kind of um they're in charge of that do you know what I mean it's like it's not it's not you must come and see me but when players you know recognize that they're being looked after because someone's noticed how are you doing now how are you really doing then I think it changes the quality of the conversation. And, and there isn't a single player at Wickham who I haven't done some kind of one-to-one work with, not, not a single player. Richard, from a coach's perspective, uh, how kind of often do you chat to your kind of counterparts about kind of, you know, what you're doing at Wickham? And do you get a sense that the work that you're doing with Misha is, you know, replicated at, at, at other clubs? Um, there's a lot of people that ask me about it. Um, I don't think there's going to be replication at other clubs because I don't think anybody else has had the longevity that we've had to build what we've built. You know, I mean, I'm very fortunate. I think I'm probably the longest serving assistant manager in, in the country at 11 years now. So no one else has that type of time at a club to build what we've built. And the, um, the layers upon layer that we've, we've built over the years with the players that have been in there, we, we, we tend to keep players at our club for a long period of time. So we've got a number of players that have been doing this for, for several years as well. 
So when new players come in, it's just part of what we do. It's part of the, the culture. Um, so, you know, if a, a young lad, and, and some of them have worked with psychologists at other clubs, but it's literally been a conversation every now and then or a workshop once in a blue moon. Um, and they come into our club and, and we say, this is what we do. And before you know it, there's a, there's a queue of people that want to speak to Misha, you know, on a Monday morning and just reflect on what they were feeling over the weekend and, and things they can do better. And, you know, and, and for me, I've always said, you know, from, from a mental health perspective, um, we want to hit things early and, and, and make sure that people don't get into that downward spiral in life. Um, you know, and having somebody there with a background in, in dealing with mental health is so important to our players um, to make sure that they never never get into that situation where they really need help and end up, you know, going into places like the Priory or whatever. You know, I want to nip that in the bud first and foremost, but also we work heavily on um, the psychology of performance and uh, and helping the boys with just little things that, that might help them mentally and, and, and navigating the difficulties that footballers find themselves in. Misha, if you had to kind of give aspiring psychologists, maybe someone on a kind of, yeah, a, a training program or someone starting or someone working at an academy now, a bit of advice about working with a coach kind of based on your your experience. What what would that what would that be, do you think? I think um you have to figure out what the most what the most important relationship is. And um the most important relationship is with the coaches, even though most of your time will be spent with the players. So it's about how you navigate the balance between coaches. The coaches have got to feel secure about the work that you're doing. And if, if, if at any point that changes, then basically you're kind of, you're, you're kind of done. That is, that is the death of it. Um, And I've certainly lived through that a few times. So I think it's about being um, able to think about, how you work that through together, what that's going to look like, checking in, just kind of being in the, in the very, very, very beginning, you have to be just open and curious um, rather than this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rule the world. And, and I still think, you know, and Rich, I don't know, I don't know what you think about this. I think there's no, there's no education and help for coaches about how to work with other staff, you know, how, how do you work with a psychologist? What does that look like? I don't think anyone has that conversation. Um, and, and I think coaches struggle most with the relationship with the psychologist because I think it's, it challenges them much more than the sports scientists where it's like, here's some numbers they've been doing, you know, this is how much high-speed running someone's done. Well, no one's going to get upset about that. Or no one's going to think, oh, there's secrets, they know stuff. And and I think you know if I if I was giving advice to the uh, to the FA, in fact I did actually suggest this. They didn't take on my suggestion, <laughs> um, but I said as part of the coach education is that you you should teach coaches, but you know how to create a kind of hive network with other professionals, because and appreciate that other professionals are seeing the world through very very different lenses. And it's only when we appreciate those different lenses and go, ah, okay, that's what that is about. That's what that's about. That actually you can get the whole team working together. I mean, you know, I I speak to the sports analysts. I I talk with the the people who are doing rehab. In fact, I'm I'm out on the pitch with the um, the S&C guys who are doing rehab of players. 
and, and I do psychology in action with them. So, you know, Rich, we this is a question to you really. It's like we've developed this over, over many years, but um, in the beginning, no one told you how to do it. Or uh, And I wonder whether that's because of there's a lack of understanding. It's interesting because um, uh, one, of the, one of the players is, is finishing off his master's degree with me, David Wheeler. I'll give him a shout out. Um, and his research is he's, he's, he's talking to coaches um, and managers about psychology and why it's not in their clubs and, and how they've worked with sports psychologists and what that looks like. Um, and, and I think it's something that we, we don't really know much about. But part of your professional training, I think, as coaches and managers should be about how you work with other staff. Just a thought. <laughs> yeah, for, for me, um, it's all about people. So we live in a world now full of data and numbers and we can get every number under the sun that we want. But you can't quantify what's going through somebody's head. Um, uh, and that's what people find so difficult, you know, in a world full of numbers now, they want numbers to quantify what a psychologist does. And you can't do that. Um, you know, I, I fully believe in, first of all, getting the right person uh, and you have to get the right person. You have to be 100 percent sure that you're bringing the right person in and trust them because this isn't an easy job by any, any stretch of the imagination. So I knew with, with Misha when, when I brought Misha in that she was the right person. She was the one that I wanted. Um, and then you've got to allow them to do their job. You've got to trust them and you've got to allow them to, to flourish and be there to support them. Um, and as long as you know that you've got the right person, you know which way, what direction that's going to go in. Um, constant communication is important. And forget about the numbers with this one. There are no numbers. OK, just trust them to do their job and you'll see it in performance. You'll see it in people. That's how you quantify it. Look at the, look at the, the faces around the training ground on a regular basis. Look at the, the, the amount of positive language that's being used as opposed to negative and, and the, the skulking that happens at, at many clubs. Um, and listen to what the players are saying, because they'll tell you. You know, you talk to the players about the environment that we've got at Wickham Wanderers and people take pay cuts, huge pay cuts to come and, and, and play their football with us because word of mouth, it gets around. So, you know, there, there's your, your examples. There's your evidence. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I really think we need to get away from numbers all the time and start thinking more about the people. Misha, Richard, thanks so much for your, for your time today. Um, listeners, I hope you enjoyed that as much as as much as I did. Um, we hope to have you back for our next episode, which will be brought to you as ever in association with Sporting Bounce and the Set Pieces, our partners. And we'll see you next time on the Football Psychology Show. <laughs>